Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here with your host, Auntie Vice, and it's great to be back. Today, I'm so excited. I get to talk to Dr. Marla Renee Stewart. She's quite brilliant. She's the founder, uh, co-founder of Sex Down South. She created Dick Fest in the last two years. She's an academic, a researcher, and unlike most of my, my sex ed people I have on, actually went to school for this. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's so great to have you. I followed you for years, so I'm so excited to get to talk to you. So like, like I said in the introduction, you actually went to school for this, which is very unusual in this field. What gave you that direction so early in life? Wow. So, you know, I think, you know, what gave me that direction? I think it's a multitude of factors, right? I think one of those factors was my mother being a sex positive parent without realizing she was a sex positive parent. And that helped me to be more embodied, to be more in my body, to know what it feels like, to know desire, to know all of these things. And then as I got to college, this is like, hmm, I love acting, which I'm doing, but I would also love to study human sexuality because that's also very fascinating to me. So I took lots of human sex classes and so ended up uh, getting actually a whole bunch of other things. But needless to say, I studied it, studied psychology. And while I was in college, I realized like, oh my gosh, like these like I'm having a great time, <laughs> you know, f- having fun, experimenting. And what I realized is that like my girlfriends were just like not having orgasms with their partners, right? They were just like having sex, but just like, like, oh yeah, it's fun, but you know, it's, it's cool or like whatever. Like, and I was just like, what? Like, no, like you need to be having orgasms. Like, what are you doing with your life? And so... <laughs> Um, from then on, I was just like, you know what? I really wanted to help women in particular focus on orgasms. And then as I've grown and as I've evolved, just sort of like helping people with their sex lives in general, helping them with the sex skills they need, the communication tactics they need, the seduction techniques they need in order to be successful. So, yeah. And it's fantastic. You've written some really interesting stuff, starting with your undergraduate thesis, looking at the intersections of uh, gender, race, and sexuality in desire. So what do you find, you focus, a lot of your work focuses on Black queer sexuality. What do you find, is it the same as everybody else, different? What are you, what are kind of your big takeaways from your work you've done in that area? Well, one of my big takeaways is that we tend, we have tended to kind of suppress black sexuality in particular or like not like when i was studying we've definitely expanded now but when i was when i was in school like 20 years ago you know it was not talked about there weren't a lot of research studies there weren't a lot of things around black queerness kinkiness like there weren't there just weren't and so um, my goal was really just to get that information out there when I was an undergrad for, I presented at the um, NIMH in DC at the National Institute of Mental Health. And so what happened was when I was doing my thesis, as I was presenting, I was seeing mentors like cover up the eyes of their like students. Like there was so much like, stigma or like scariness of like black queer sexuality and i was just like this is nuts well you know this is wild maybe not nuts but this is wild 
And so I was really kind of, um, really just, it, 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 it really, not only did it hurt my feelings, cause it's like, why don't you want to learn about this subject? But like, this is me, you know what I mean? And when we do our work, most likely it's because there's some part of us in that research, you know what I mean? That said, I'm happy that I was a catalyst for other um, Black queer folks, Black sexuality folks. And like, I look on, you know, like Google Scholar and it's like, you have been cited like 150 times, you know, and it's just like, wow, that's amazing. But just to know that it's really because there has been a limited um, scope of work. Um, But yeah, like now it's expanding. Now it's getting better. And I, you know, continue to put out research studies and participate in that. So in looking at how the field has expanded, because I I went to school probably 10 years before you when I started this. And like the landmark thing at that time was Marlon Riggs' Tongues Untied. The the director out of UC, he was at UC Berkeley at the time. Brilliant, brilliant director on Black men's sexuality, uh, specifically black, Black gay men. How do Black queer women different from Black men, or is it very similar in that? Because you know, we we haven't had a kind of a, a landmark film on Black lesbian sexuality that just isn't out there right now. No, so we we do actually. There was well one that was big, but like I don't know what happened to it. I don't know why mm-hmm. people aren't going to it out right now. But I remember the aggressives. I'm not sure if you remember that, but. I haven't, I'm going to have to add that because I haven't seen that. No. Yeah. So it's like a documentary film about black lesbian, lesbian and bisexual queer women. And it's, it's interesting to see because some of those people who participated, like some of them have transitioned, you know, or like now trans men, some of them like, so even thinking about, and that's mostly around masculine. Right. But we have not seen any like black lesbian femme, femininity like we kind of saw them in that film but like not really featured so you know thinking about like black queer filmmaking i mean cheryl denier has done some stuff too so there's there's like a little bit you know little 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 things about this like if you you gotta search (laughs) you know what i mean you definitely have to search and also i think as we see ourselves more on main screen right? It becomes a little less like, oh, there's Lena Waite on the red carpet. You know what I mean? So there's probably less of a feeling of needing to be like, you know, where, where's the black queer stuff, you know, because we are seeing it kind of in mainstream now. So yeah, I would, I would have to say there's, I, I, I hope that there will be some, some more done, um, some more recent stuff done. I, I did get a chance to participate in a documentary recently. Um, so hopefully that will come out in the next, yeah, yeah, next, I don't know, year, two years, you know, documentaries, who knows. So. <laughs> So you bring a couple up a couple of things I want to touch on. One is the identity of aggressives. Uh, we've had Renair Amen on the show who identifies as aggressive, and I've had a number of other more butch women. And like from from my generation, butch was the identity. Now there's so much more nuance and discussion around non-binary. Where and non-binary, of course, is now all big news, and you know they're trying to make pronoun laws and all of these these things. What do you how do you interpret the current push for non-binary identities that are not necessarily trans? Where how are you seeing that develop? And is this something we're gonna have in 20 years or will it continue to evolve? Well you know us the queers, we 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 just be evolving, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, language has shifted so much and it continues to shift. And even folks who are kind of mainstream gay right are still confused on non-binary right are still confused on the nuances of like queer queer am i queer i don't know i'm a lesbian or queer i'm gay or you know what i mean so there's a lot of work i would say that still needs to be done around sort of the evolution of language and identities and in particular gender variant identities but i Here's the thing, what I think, I think it's going to be harder 
for people to because because non-binary is not only an identity but it's also like philosophy right it's also like the like the identity queer right it's like it's also political but it's also sexual and it's also like all these things so like i don't know where it's gonna go (laughs) but when people identify as like, for instance, like identify as, you know, my pronouns are she, her, and my pronouns are they, them, you know, you can use either one of those. I think that it's like a prescription to non-binary, but also prescription to the gender binary. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like you're, and it's of course queering in all of these wonderful, beautiful ways, but you know, as someone who's also old school, just be, I just want to be like, y'all, everybody queer, you know, it's just like, what kind of queer are you? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing to me how the language has evolved because when I started exploring my own gender in college around 18 and 19, they didn't have any of this language. My therapist didn't have any of this language. And now I, I find when I'm talking to folks in their 20s they are so try to be so precise with the definition i am a demisexual <laughs> pan romantic blah blah like like crazy levels of specificity and as somebody who deals with so much around sexual identity and and sexual understanding is this a good thing is this a bad thing are we somewhere in between Oh, you know, I feel like as long as you can find what describes you, I think it's fine. You know, um, I, when people ask me about like all of those different identities, I immediately go, you know what, you know who else is good at like knowing all of these identities? (laughs) Like this other person. Like I understand that there's a nuance of identities, but because, and, and, I don't know, because my identities are fairly stable, it feels like I I don't really know the gamut of all the things, right? I used to be like, so I'm not I used to be like, but I still kind of identify, right? I'm I'm sort of like, you know, I'm like 90%, you know, liking women and then like 10% everybody else, right? And then that is how I am. And you know, somebody would be like, oh, okay, well, then you're like maybe pansexual or you're like, you know, you're bisexual. And I'm like, sure, I'm all those things. I just like to call it queer, period. You know, because for me, it's also the queering of the language that also means like, well, what does that mean exactly? I'm like, well, I can give you some details, but there's always going to be nuance and everybody is going to be different. And I think to understand the complexity of humans is to just like radically accept them for who they are, but just get a little deeper. So don't be so shallow in what this identity might mean, you know? So I think that's why, that's why I personally think queer is like the perfect term. <laughs> well, I do too. And I have long been a fan of saying we should just go with Q factorial, but that one requires people understand mathematic nomenclature. It's two fucking QAnon fucked that up for me. So. <laughs> But we just all included, y'all. Just yeah. deal with it. Yeah. So as we've expanded the dialogue around what queerness is, what sexuality is, how have queer spaces changed for you? Mm. You know, uh, really kind of understand, like we've been talking about, really understanding of identity, right? So like going into queer spaces and actually being like, Oh, like it's not only because, you know, back in my day, you know, it was just like femme, stud, or, or stem, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are just one of those, pick one. You could be soft, soft butch, soft stud. You could be, you know, high femme. You could be tomboy femme, whatever. You can be whatever, uh, by dyke, whatever. Like, you know, there's like so many kind of um, identities in there, but like, now it's sort of like, well, you know, I'm masculine of center or I'm, I'm, you know, femme of center. I'm femme, I'm high femme, I'm what I like. And 
And then even in those identities, right, of how of gender, right, we're thinking of, okay, then what is our gender identity, right? So are you mm-hmm. woman, man, trans, non-binary, intersex? Like, what is your actual, like, sex and gender identity, right? Um, and that, I think that puts just the, 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 the other layer of, like, okay, well, what kind of queer do I desire, <laughs> you know? And I think that nuance in and of itself is sort of like, how do I figure out who I'm attracted to and where on the gender spectrum, you know, does my desire lie or does it move? Is it fluid or not? You know? So, so yeah. There's a lot to that. And there's a lot more discussion now of people trying to figure out all of their different identities, especially in their twenties. And, you know, before we had so much social media, you could play with your identity and it wasn't announced to the world every five minutes, right? So I think it's got to be somewhat harder to explore that now because people see you as unstable when it's just a normal developmental phase. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of exploring all of that, and then you have uh, racial politics and you have Democrat and Republican, all this, how do you get through all of that and just get to good sex? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, I think it's just about inviting like love to be a part of your life, right? Um, And really kind of accepting people and loving people like for who they are. It's really funny to me because people think that like, if I tell someone like they think they have like, this is love and I only have a little piece of it and I can only tell so like three people that I love them. And it's like they're hoarding this thing that they could give out to everybody. You know what I mean? Like love is so plentiful. And so my, my particular vision is just for people to really understand how to approach people with love and how to listen and how to, even if somebody might not, I mean, when I met my wife, she said, Oh my God, she tried to tell me what feminism was, which was like some definition she had got from like Fox news. And right. And we're talking about, you know, stud lesbian, like, you know, and was just like feminism. Like that's not. And I was like, I don't think you know what, what feminism is. And she was, it was funny to me because she was trying to tell me what feminism was. And I was like, I, I teach a feminist theory class at a university. There's no way in hell on this earth that you would know more about feminism than I do. And so I really had to just be like, this is what it is, which has totally changed her perspective. Cause she was like, Oh my God, like, what have I been thinking? Like, you know, I'm like, well, if you don't know, you don't know. And then like you go on and pass on this raggedy ass information like that is social media, right? People are people aren't passing on the best information, right? So how do they get to the love, right? Well, approaching with love, I, like I said, I wouldn't have, you know, married her if that wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have happened. Right. But I'm happy that you know, I'm happy that I'm able to we were able to sort of get past that so i would say being able to listen being able to know you are on the same path as someone or that your desires are aligning you know what i mean it could be something casual something casual just means hey are our desires aligning and if they are great if not hey we got to move on so yeah i don't know (laughs) There's a lot more conversation within feminist communities, within women's communities, especially queer women around sexuality, pleasure, and all of that. And you went and did something totally different. You founded Dick Fest. (laughs) So let's talk about, which when I first, I'm like, really? Marla did Dick Fest? (laughs) So let's talk about Dick Fest. Oh my gosh. You and a ton of others, right? We're just like, wait, what? (laughs) 
Um, but I was just like, you know what? I know all of these wonderful presenters, all of these amazing educators, and like we all do something different around Dick. Like we need, like it needs to happen. Like I literally just woke up one day and was just like Dick Fest. Like this, this idea needs to happen. And so, you know, I think I got like my first, the first Dick Fest, I think had like 12 presenters talking about 12 different things about Nick. And so it was, it was awesome. It was really, really amazing, but you never realize how (laughs) much nuance there, there are to genitals until you have 12 different educators talking about 12 different things, you know? Yeah. That's great. And are you going forward with another Dick Fest? So we just finished Dick Fest um, at the beginning of February. Um, So for this year, so and that one was it was kind of the second iteration and so we had 10 presenters and it was really nice because i mean i did a workshop on you know dicks on drugs or you know there there were you know thinking about size and all of these things so so yeah i'm thinking about like the the next iteration of that is going to be booty fest in october in august or anal august So oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're probably similar to me when you go to these conferences and stuff, you do walk away with stuff you haven't thought about for new information. So two rounds of Dick Fest. How have you changed your thinking about dicks in general? You know, I don't know if I've changed my thoughts about dicks in general, <laughs> but <laughs> um, um but what I did learn is that there is a lot of nuance and that there is a lot of, you know, amazing presenters out there. I learned that even though we could be teaching the same thing, people teach it very differently. So uh, absorbing the information is different. So I just encourage people to like, not only, you know, to expand their sort of world around that. Yeah. And I mean, I did ClipFest too, and that was also amazing. You know, and Clipfest was was yeah, amazing. Like like yeah, like I said, there's so many things that you could talk about when it comes to genitals. So <laughs> yeah. And then you also you're a co-founder of Sex Down South, which is one of the most prestigious sex conferences in the country. Um mm-hmm. happens annually for our listeners who don't know. Uh you want to talk a little bit about what goes on at Sex Down South because in the sex educator community, it's a huge thing, but not all my listeners are part of that community. Yeah, absolutely. So it, surprisingly, even though there's lots of educators, of course, who know about it because they're like, oh, I want to present. We attract a lot of what we call enthusiasts, which are people who just want to make their sex lives better. Like if you want to make your sex life better, like then you should come to this conference, right? Because we have about you know 10 to 12 workshops that are happening at a time. So it's very busy, but it's all about learning. We have, you know, some sessions have live demos. Some sessions have, you know, we really just make it fun and it was born out of love. So people come there with a nice, lovely sex positive attitude and just like ready. It's like a family reunion, you know? So yeah, when you walk in, um, you'll find the registration table where you have to sign, you know, the forms, all, you know, all the forms, get your get your thing, come in. And we are behind like a curtain. So we really wanted it to be private. We didn't want the hotel staff to be there. So we're like, if you want to get nude, you can get nude. If you want to do this, you can do that. So we offer that to our enthusiasts. Um, we have vendors so people can see all the kind of products and games and things that people have to offer. Again, the education portion, the workshops, we also have a healing space. So that is for where our healers who come in and do body work on people um, or may do a reading or there's a cuddle space if you just want to cuddle or take a nap or whatever, right? Um, so there's options for that. And then we also have a dungeon, uh, cause you know, I'm kinky and my friends are kinky. So, <laughs> so we have a wonderful dungeon and that's also really amazing. We have, uh, so even though we all learn during the day, we just like have fun and party at night. So we have some shows. Thursday night, we call the Little Bang, which is like a nice little erotic show. And then Friday, we have um, 
a mix and mingle where people can go outside of the hotel and go to the bar, hang out, eat, whatever, socialize. Um, and then we kind of like leave it like you can do this or do whatever, mm -hmm. hang out, go to the city, go and explore Atlanta. And then Saturday we have our, the big bang, which is basically like our closing party. So we have a um, performers and, and a dance party afterwards. So pretty, pretty fun. And for folks who haven't checked it out, you really should. It's amazing. And what and you say it's like family coming home. And the best is like the Wednesday and Thursday of the event, the week of the event on Twitter. All the sex educators like, oh, my God, I'm at the airport. I'm going down here. Like you can see everybody just getting so thrilled to go. Yeah, oh, it's super cute. It's yes. super cute. You bring up being kinky, and since you work in in erotic space and around all all the kind of academic stuff, one of the conversations that's come up in the last couple of years is around the term master and slave. Mm. Right? These are terms that are instilled in our community. They represent a type of relationship, and there's a lot of conversation about whether or not this is still okay, if it's still too rooted in chattel slavery. From your experience, how are you with those terms, and would you supplement them, or do they still have meaning for you? It's it's funny to talk about this because like, you know, at the beginning of my kink journey 22 years ago, like I was just like, okay, this is just a part of the the fabric of the the system, right? Of the uh, of this lifestyle. And as I've seen it evolve, it's been interesting because being at Sex Down South, you know, you'll have someone with a name tag maybe someone white, right, with master or whatever. And then you have a bunch of black people that are going, I am not calling you master or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and so there's the, it also highlights the conversation around honorifics, right? Mm -hmm. For me personally, I think it is a part of the taboo. I do see there are people who do get, you know, um, activated from it right who might be like you know what it brings me back to all of like it brings me in a bad place so maybe they've moved to owner property right so i've seen a lot of that master slave transition into owner property to be a little less activating for people um and i'm just all for like whatever makes you feel good you know what i mean because i mean i can't deny a black person their their desires you know if they like want to be a slave or they want to be a master or they want to be so, like do you you know kink mm -hmm. is taboo in the first place so do you do what you desire just put i, I just think be thoughtful to be thoughtful mm -hmm. in your desires and what that means for you and and make sure you you are clear as to why you maybe prefer or don't prefer it or whatever but i'm all like i said i come out of love so do what makes you happy so it's been one of the fascinating things i've had having that conversation for the last several years especially since when sinclair sexsmith was the title holder they brought up they started this conversation kind of using their platform for it to see how white kinksters respond to it versus black kinksters and almost every black kinky person i've had on the show is like you do you i'm gonna do me and i'm okay with it uh whereas white kinky people tend to be very strict in how they they approach that and i think that's just one of the signs that there's so much pressure on the language that we're looking at like <laughs> I was geeking out on in grad school and, you know, semiotics and the structure of language and reclaiming negative terms and all of that, that it's moved into a much more general space. And we see now lawmakers are desperate to try and control that language by book bans, by pronoun bans, and all of, the, all of that. Do you see those as kind of the last gasp of a dying patriarchy, or do you, are you on the team of well no it's gonna get a lot better before it gets worse um <laughs> i think it is a last gasp of the patriarchy <laughs> i do i mean but we see the transition even like you said outside right we when you go in and want to rent a house or buy a house you know it's not the master bedroom anymore right it's the in suite right it's uh you know so we are seeing this language not but but it's also a denial 
of like how slavery was so ingrained into our society. So some of it is like, do we want to erase that? It's like the damn history books who are like, yeah, the Africans came over to the United States. Like what? No, that didn't. No, like it was slavery. They were forced, right? So like even thinking about how history or the U.S. in general is so ashamed of the of slavery right that they're trying to like do their best to like erase it in any way shape or form which also includes the master slave language you know in general so i find it interesting too because i feel like i mean sinclair is head head on about the um you see white people being like nope can't do it won't do it whatever and then black people are like, do you, you know what I mean? Like, we know that shit exists. It's not going, like, it's not, you know, it's, it's going to be there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just been fascinating for me to watch because it's something that I've been very aware of for, for a long time, in part because I've had a couple of dominants who were also raised by Black Panthers. So it's always been part of that discussion and negotiation, right? Which is very different than a lot of white kinky people have. But yeah, in the last couple of years, it's been very strange to watch the evolution and on a fet life, right? Uh, which has all the pros and cons of Facebook because it, it's a mass social media site. Um, I know one of, one of the big fat chicks favorites is Dirty Lola, and she's written a lot about uh, racism on fet life. Have you spent much time on it? And if so, what's your experience been on fet? Number one, no, I don't spend that much time on Fat Life except for to advertise my events or to maybe find other local events that like when I first moved to Florida, I was like, oh, I need to see like what's happening in the scene down here. So other than that, I, I when I tell people, I was like, it's a tool to like find the people in person, like to find the munches, to find the dungeons, to find the play parties. I would say use it for that. If you're going to go on there to try to find hookups, um, I'm not a huge fan of going that route but what what's cool that happened out of that situation is there was a lot more heightened awareness around the racism on that life and so luna and i formed the racing kink discussion series um to really highlight hey we encounter racism all the time in kink what does it look like who how how do our race and how does kink and the kink that we do like how do the intersections of all of our identities affect how we go into these play spaces how we play with partners how we interact with white people in and out of the dungeon you know so i think that has been really an amazing and fruitful conversation uh, around those uh, sort of the happenings and experiences um, of bipoc folks so yeah i like you said it's i don't go on there except for maybe to find things but i don't go on there to try to i mean i've gotten messages that were like i want you to be my you know african you know black femme dom you know like let me be your sub and uh, you know because people are trying to waste my time i don't know i just i usually simply just say like okay your deposit is a thousand dollars if you want me to be something like that and usually they go away so <laughs> i'm just um the messages that people like i know they don't read any part of my profile because i constantly get hit up to be a dominant or a key holder i'm very explicitly a submissive mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm like y'all are getting this like i can teach from both sides but this is not what i'm interested in at all Right. So, yeah, people don't. Uh, people really don't. No, don't care. No. <laughs> no. Another thing that's changed since you, you started doing your work is it's this is now all academic conversation. Can't, you can have subspecialties in BDSM and alternative sexualities, and you teach at university. What are the 20 somethings like? Because I have very little contact with 20 somethings on purpose. <laughs> you choose to engage them. How are they coming in and approaching sexuality and all the studies? 
Well, you know, they've gotten, as far as approaching sexuality, they've been a lot better. Academically, a lot worse. But, <laughs> um, but like, under, like, because I think because there's so much queerness in the media now, it's normal. It's been normalized. And even though I'm in the South, like, even being in the South, it's kind of like, it's still very Jesus-y and still very, like, well, God, 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 this or God, that. And I, I straight up on the syllabus and like, God is not, or, or, you know, the Bible cannot be used as a justification for anything. You need to have some facts. You need to have some research. You need to have something that backs it up. And so what I found is that social media, the media in general has a huge effect on young people. And they see like, oh, I'm reading these papers and they're like, I see where my depression and anxiety is coming from because I'm comparing myself to all of these people. Or um, I was trying to find out who I am as a sexual person. I teach gender and sexuality course. So it was mm-hmm. like, how do I like, oh, I didn't know like about like what this means to be a virgin or just thinking about their sexuality. They are really thoughtful, I would say, about more about their sexuality than I've seen in my years uh, from the, you know, since 2015 to now, like, I've definitely seen sort of the change there. I definitely see them making decisions for themselves. And rather than hanging on to sort of their maybe parents' ideals, so I see that more and more, but overall, I think they're doing really well. <laughs> like lately, I think over the past couple of years, they are, they are like, I know what my desires are, or I know like who that's I'm cool. attracted to. So it's been beautiful. Well, that's cool. That's actually so cool. Yeah. About the only touch point I have with, with college age kids is, I will go out and I give lectures to fraternities on like how to date properly and stuff. But I mean, it's, it's not that, that interaction. And it sounds like they, they have, they're much more thoughtful about it, which is, which is very cool. And you mentioned, you've mentioned several times the media and representation. Where do you find the best representation of sexuality and relationships? Cause you can't totally divorce the two. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, that is a, Hard question. Like successful relationships? Yeah. yeah, like how you would say this is is a semi-healthy model of sexuality or a relationship or a good representation of queer sexuality. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, you were gonna have to come back to me on that one. <laughs> I actually, I think I asked my class the same thing and they, where have I seen healthy, because I mean, media, I'm thinking of like mainstream media is all about drama, right? So you have to create drama. So modern family, but black queerness, maybe pose. Mm-hmm. Maybe. You watching Harlem? Oh yeah, I love Harlem, but I don't know if that's a good representation. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't oh know God. if Ty is good representation, <laughs> but in terms of drama, I'm sorry, I'm in love with Ty. I I watch it just for her. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, oh, you know, what about the Aziz Ansari show, the one where Lena oh, Waithe second season. Master of None, yes. Yeah, Master of None, yeah. I think the second season She's great in that. Had mm-hmm. some good had some good reflection on on black queer sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't seen anything like really with like men, you know. Um I feel like that's even more like harder to come by. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it's one of the things I use the show for is to find new things to read and, and watch too. And I love seeing where people are, are being drawn to. Um, but yeah, when it comes to black male sexuality, it's it's crap. Um, <laughs> it I'm is. like, I don't know. Yeah. 
Unless it's a reality show, because sometimes I think reality shows might have some representation there, but reality sh- shows aren't that great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a whole thing there. Uh, but maybe that's why that's they're whole- for intimacy coordination, right? And coordinators mm-hmm. and educators are getting into that to help mainstream TV get their shit together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's, when you don't have those models and it, and you haven't had them in your personal life, it can be very difficult to figure out how to build a healthy relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. And even though we have a lot more awareness around sexuality and desire, how to build healthy, intimate relationships that are stable, I see a lot less of that across the board in terms of coaching, educating, teaching, research. Like, sex is a little more interesting, um, mm-hmm. a little more succinct. But yeah, there's there's a lot less in terms of intimacy. Um, yeah, when it, when it comes to that, um, yeah. okay. Set it off. <laughs> that wasn't very healthy. Wasn't very healthy relationship. No, no but good movie. Good movie. <laughs> it's funny. I had um, Clarkisha Kent. She was on a couple weeks ago, and she writes. A, she's a cultural critic. She has a new book coming out. Uh, but when she was talking about great black movies, that was the top of her list. Was that you needed? Everybody needs to watch. Set it off. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If our listeners want to find you, if they want to read your work, if they want to go to one of your amazing events, plug all the things. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to velvetlipssexed.com. And that will, that is for like, if you want to learn more things about yourself sexually, that is just around my, like my coaching and workshop business. Um, if you are interested in getting more involved around like race and kink stuff, you can go to raceandkink.com and that's our discussion series. So we have, um, and we also have kinky tapas from there too, which is sort of a, a kink event. Uh, for kind of newbies wanting to dip and dabble and, and try different things. Um, and Race and Kink happens every month. So it's a monthly discussion series, the last Tuesday of each month. And then what else? Uh, so Sex Down South. So make sure you go to sexdownsouth.com. And our event is in September. We've expanded. We just finished Sex by Southwest in Tucson. Um, we're expanding to different cities. So make sure you get on to our email list and see if we are doing a little day conference in your city or near somewhere where you live. And what else? What else? What else? Oh, I hope I'm not forgetting anything. Kinky Tapas, Racing King, Velvet Lips, Sex Down South. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting something because uh, there's a lot of things that I do. But um, oh, and if you can sign up for my website, I am working on a program membership. So if you're interested in learning more um, about your sex life or you're interested in being successful as a person who is in this sexuality industry, hit me up. Um, listeners, definitely hit her up. Check out all of her sites. I've been following Marla for years. She's a great follow. She's fascinating. She has a lot of really cool stuff to say. And uh, thank you for being on the show. This has been wonderful. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And also, people can follow me at Velvet Lips Sex Ed, Sex Without the E on social media, as well as the number one Marla Stewart um, on all social platforms. Excellent. Thank you for being here. And listeners, please like, read, or like, recommend, and subscribe. Do the things. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Say Hi to the Vibe. You're here with Auntie Vice. And today, we're really lucky we have Gigi. She's a young trans woman in her early 20s. And we're going to talk about a little bit about finding the right toys. So, Gigi, what have you been looking for in a sex toy? Really, for me, it's what I've been looking for is like, not like a replication of, uh, more like a... I, I guess the best way to put it is just like uh, stuff that vibrates pretty much uh, or like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you would describe that or how that falls under like sensation wise, but I would say like, uh, like uh, the vibe, like something where I like a kind of, yeah, it kind of helps, you know? 
And have you had much experience with toys in the past? So kind of a funny thing is I never up until I never up until recently ever had like any form of sex toy whatsoever. It was not be, not from lack of interest. It was probably just like, hey, I like wouldn't cross my mind 24 seven or uh, yeah, price wise is another one. But uh, yeah, they know. can be kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why. And like for me, you know, because I work at a, a, a I work like a bare minimum job. It's not like it's one of the it's not a necessity. So it's not something I'm just going to be rushing out to grab like a new one of. So mm-hmm. when you uh, got got me uh, the one toy, I was like, you know, thrilled. I was like, awesome. <laughs> so if you're looking for vibrations, do you like intense, less intense type of sensation when you're when you're masturbating and playing with people? Uh, for me personally, I would say intense. I like uh, when it like really, really like like really just like full full power, full throttle, that kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, what uh, this is this is marked for uh, an 18 or older channel, so you can be explicit. Fair um, enough. Fair. What what body parts are you looking to most stimulate with a vibration toy? Uh, I think for me, per I mean, the obvious one would be like genitalia for me, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, the penis, something like that. Uh, but another one is because you mentioned that I am a, a trans girl. I've been on. Uh, I'm actually approaching. I think four months now on HRT. Excellent. And uh, one of the things that it causes is it makes like your uh, like nipples like really really like sensitive, mm-hmm. and uh, like I remember when it first happened, it was just like kind of you're not used to it, and I was just yeah. I was just like hey, I hope so. I had to like talk to friends. I'm like this is okay, or they're like no no no, that's all a okay. I'm like perfect, all I need to know. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll take like a the vibrator and just like put it on there maybe while like a mm-hmm. mas- masturbating or something and that mm-hmm. really is incredible <laughs> great so i think we're gonna go with the the fliver wand it's mm-hmm. a rechargeable wand you don't have to plug it into the wall but it has for a battery powered wand it has a pretty pretty intense sensation on the higher end okay and it's it's fairly affordable uh, this one is through bestvibe.com. So we're okay. going to get you that and then come back and see how it went. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you got to twi- try the wand. What did you think? The wand was great. Like, it really is what I'm looking for. Like, really ideal. Because I remember when I first uh, got it, I was like trying to you know figure out how to use it. It's very basic, you know, one button easy to charge that kind of thing and it's one of those things where you don't have to be like charging it 24 7 i know for i would keep it like next to my bed and Mm -hmm. i would just forget about it and let's say maybe i have a you know friend of sorts over and uh you know you just casually remember because that that is something that happened to me i had a friend of mine over and they asked me they're they're like hey do you have any like toys whatsoever and normally i would you know say like oh no but then i like it like light bulb i was like yes i do actually and so we did that and that just kind of added to the fun the the pleasure (laughs) and and it does work for the nipples as well definitely definitely like i said i i really go like i like to go like pretty intense with it Mm -hmm. that's just me though so i will so what I'll what I'll do is just like uh, well I build up to it you know mm-hmm. because it ha- it really is just that that sensation is just wow wow like it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible I remember like when I first got it I thought it only had like the one setting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was not even an issue like that wasn't even an issue for me. I was like, I was like, you know, the fact that I had anything, I was grateful. But when uh, I'm like, like just messing around with it to see like how it, mm-hmm. like all it works and everything, uh, I realized that you can make it more intense. And <laughs> I was like, like I struck gold almost. Just it was <laughs> like really, really, really helpful. And so I just like would do that. Plus, you know, uh, different rhythms, different like 
it really it just like anything you want like really just you can go crazy experiment you name it like really really good i am so glad that worked for you we're Definitely. gonna have you back to talk about a different toy on another episode but thank you so much for coming on Ab- absolutely anytime And now, a moment of gratitude. Oh my gosh, you know, I am so grateful for the family and friends and support that I have. I'm so grateful for my communities. I'm grateful for like everybody who, yeah, has just been so supportive of me and my endeavors. And even though they're, you know, just like you looking at me sideways, like Marla and Dick Fest, right? They still come out and support. They're like, yes, actually, yes, I will, I will be a part of this. So um, I'm grateful for my business partner, Tia, for, you know, for Sex Down South. I'm, you know, grateful for my mother, my wife, my baby who, get get you know helps me smile um keeps me grounded and i'm just um yeah i'm grateful for all the things yeah Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.